Hi there, this is Winston Male, and I welcome you to Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. In the podcast, which focuses on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community, we speak to journalists from different parts of the world. And our guest today is none other than Emmanuel Dobovi. Or Dobevi. He's going to tell us how to pronounce that name. Well, he's a journalist from Ghana. Uh, Emmanuel, welcome. And then he, maybe let's start with the, the, the surname. How do you pronounce it? It's, uh, thank you, uh, Winston. My surname is pronounced Dobevi. Dobevi? Dobevi. Oh, Dobevi. <laughs> yes, hope you got that. Okay, great. Now, how are you today and um, from wherever you are? Well, it's been it's been raining all morning. Uh, it's been raining uh, since four a.m. and uh, it's 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 all all day, like kind of all morning, all day. It's uh, past one p.m. in, in Accra, uh, and I'm in the office. I'm doing fine, uh, except that uh, it's a bit flooded in some parts of the city. Uh, I'm just hoping that nobody gets carried away, like it does happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, this is really what I wanted to say. I'm saying, well, I hope you are safe, Emmanuel. I am safe. Uh, I just hope that other people are also safe as well. Okay, great. Now, Emmanuel, you started your journalism career three decades ago. Uh, tell us where did it all start and uh, when did you first think of, I mean, journalism being some career path that you'd like to take? Well, thank you, Winston. I started journalism way back in, in professionally in 1990. That's almost 31 years now. Uh, but I didn't start off as a journalist. I started writing poetry um, in, in 1985. Uh, even though I, as at that time, I didn't even have high school education, I had just uh, completed what was then known as the middle school system in Ghana. It was a 10-year basic education uh, system where you go from primary one to six, and then you go to middle school from one to four, uh, making it a 10-year basic education system. Uh, but I, I have a certain love for texts, uh, for words. Uh, that over the years I nurtured by reading deeply and widely and any and everything that I can lay my hands on, I would read. Uh, if I get a piece of paper and there is anything written on it, I would read. So that kind of deepened my interest in the written text. And uh, I started writing poetry. Initially, I started writing for friends on their birthdays, um, and then I would write for schools, friends who are in school would go and read, uh, perform my poetry. And over time, I have written a bunch of poems, a, a full, I had a file full of poems, some handwritten, some, some typewritten. And I decided to look for a publisher who might be interested in publishing uh, the poems into a book. And I found a, a publisher who said to me, well, he was more interested in children's books, but then he showed me another publisher who might be interested in my poems. Uh, so he directed me to a publisher of a magazine known as Step, uh, uh, Step Magazine. So the editor of Step Magazine, 
showed interest in my poems, and he said something. He said to me, Emmanuel, there is something about your poems that I love, but I can't put a finger on it. And immediately he selected one of the poems and got it published in the very next issue of the magazine. So that's how uh, the path to my journalism started. Uh, later, they invited me to a writer's workshop. And there were 12 of us. We were all giving assignments after the workshop, and I was the only one who turned up uh, with my assignment and followed up to see what the editors would say. Until one day, he invited me to his office and said, Emmanuel, we want to offer you an opportunity uh, for an internship to do uh, a writing training uh, you know, with us. Is it something you would be interested in? Uh, he didn't finish speaking, and I said, yes, I'll be interested. So they took me on as an editorial intern, uh, started teaching me how to write, uh, how to do editing, how to take photographs, how to do layout and design of the magazine and newspapers and stuff like that. So that actually set me off into journalism. Really? Uh, that's interesting. Um, you, you know, uh, I think almost everybody who is into journalism has a background of uh, the love for reading, the love for writing, you know, and then it grows into what we are uh, today. Now, uh, apart from this internship job that you have just told us, do you remember your your first job in the real sense of, of the word? And um, maybe tell us what it was like. Well, so uh, I worked with this magazine for, initially it was for six months, they said, but they were so happy with me, they extended it to another one year because I was interviewing people, I was writing feature articles, I was helping in research, I was helping with designing of the magazine and so on. And then the one year became two years. So after two years, they sent me off to one of the oldest newspapers in Ghana uh, called the Christian Messenger uh, to continue with another six months internship. And all this while they paid me a very small stipend to keep me going. So I would say my journalism actually started off when I joined Christian Messenger. Uh, I can't remember which story I wrote, but I started covering assignments, you know, uh, writing news reports from press releases, press statements, and so on and so forth. So that's that's when my journalism took off. Uh, now, looking at your career, which spans almost three—I uh, mean, three decades—right now, Emmanuel, uh, it appears that your career, uh, largely over the years, has been defined by your ability to investigate and expose different forms of corruption. What drew you into this particular form of journalism, and uh, why do you think it's important? I would say, uh, as a journalist or as a writer, one of your biggest interests is the public good. Uh, you are concerned about equity. You are concerned about justice. You are concerned about fairness in the system. And so these concerns, these interests in justice, fairness, truth, equity, you know, drives you into focusing on aspects of the societies and activities of people within the society that derails these noble ideals of justice, fairness, equity, and so on. And therefore, of course, you would naturally be drawn into looking at issues of corruption and so on and so forth. So for me, it's my, my desire to see a fair, balanced 
just and fair society that drove me to start focusing on corruption and issues of financial injustice. <laughs> that, that's really interesting. Now, uh, I, I believe you, you know this, Emmanuel, that, you know, uh, different societies look at generalists uh, differently. For example, in Malawi, uh, up to now, you know, from 1964 to about 1992, we had one party system. And then in, uh, the only journalists that were there were those who were working for the public broadcaster. And uh, they were looked upon by gen the general public as, you know, spies for the government. And that kind of, you know, impression is too around where journalists are looked upon with suspicion. I'm not sure. What is the culture like towards journalists in Ghana? Well, it's not any different. Uh, Ghana's media landscape is largely dominated by, uh, used to be largely dominated by state-owned media. We just used to have only one broadcasting station uh, called the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation, and, and they, they run on short wave. And we had the Daily Graphic and the Ghanaian Times and, and, and the weekend, their weekend papers, Mirror and Spectator. These were the largest leading newspapers in Ghana for a very long time. Uh, until sometime in, in the in 1970s, uh, mid early 70s, a few newspapers, you know, private newspapers sprang up, but they didn't last. But of course, there were private initiatives that you know uh, goes back to pre-colonial times and post-independent Ghana, but they didn't survive. Uh, but of course, the national newspapers and media houses survived over a long period because of the funding system that existed where government funded them. But then, of course, in the mid-80s to early 90s, we started getting uh, a rise of a lot of private newspapers. Again, of course, it was difficult to have a private newspaper because there was a military system, a military government in, in place after a coup in 1981, and, and it, it stayed on for a very long time. So they, they passed what was called a newspaper uh, registration law, a licensing law. So to get the right to publish a newspaper, you have to apply for this license. And if the government deems you as somebody uh, who would not write favorably towards them, then you are denied the license. They will find all kinds of excuses to deny you that license. But of course, then a few people found ways of registering newspapers by registering sports newspapers. And then they will have a column called a social page where they will write political issues under the guise of writing uh, uh, on social issues, but then they will comment on political issues. It went on and on and on until we have the liberalization of the airwaves after 1992, where Ghana transformed from a military system into a democratic regime. So then, of course, uh, we had the rise in newspapers, uh, rise in radio and TVs, private radio and TV stations, and so on and so forth. So yes, for a long time, people, anybody who goes anywhere and says I'm a journalist would ex immediately be expected to be coming from the government or state-owned newspapers. But increasingly, we've had the growth in private media, largely radio and TV. Uh, the newspapers are there, but they are struggling. Uh, there are a few newspapers around in the, in the past few days, and then some online uh, publications have also come up. So the situation in Ghana wasn't any different from the situation in Malawi.
All right, uh, that's interesting. It seems uh, basically in Africa, we are facing almost the same uh, challenges. Now, of your recent investigations, Emmanuel, which one uh, are you most proud of? Ah, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I would say I am particularly proud of every piece of journalism I have produced over the years. And to think that after 30 years, I am still going strong my interest in journalism hasn't died down in spite of all the extreme difficulties. And I must say, I've been going through a lot of difficulties in the last year or two, uh, since November 2020, when my office got bent down uh, and I lost uh, a lot of staff, you know, my archival materials, my books, I mean, some of the things that I held quite close to my heart and the things that really inspired me to keep going in spite of all the challenges and difficulties. And mind you, I don't even make money from the journalism I do. I pay to do my journalism. I don't, I don't generate revenue from the website that I publish. Um, I have to pay for everything to do my journalism. So uh, it, I'm, I'm not driven by the material, you know, things that might come from it or the financial but I'm driven by my love for justice, my love for the truth and the public good. So in spite of all these challenges, I have kept going. So every piece of journalism, therefore, that I produce is significant. But there is one which stands out, not one, but on one particular subject, way back in 2007, when I broke the story about e-waste dumping in Ghana. Nobody knew about e-waste in Ghana at that time. Nobody. I mean... Probably in the whole of Africa, the issue hadn't come up until I broke that story in June of 2007 for the national newspaper, the Daily uh, Graphy. And I have subsequently written more than 60 times about the problem in Ghana. And I'm happy to say, I think sometime in 2016, uh, the country eventually passed a law to manage e-waste dumping. So that's quite significant. And the very first article I wrote about, story I wrote about e-waste dumping in Ghana has been published in a textbook that is being used in universities around the world, which, which is significant for a journalist who has to pay for the cost of doing his own stories. And if the bigger, wider society gets to benefit, for me, that is quite significant and important. And that's my happiness and joy and what keeps me going. I have done a number of stories uh, along the line as well uh, where nobody would touch stories about, say, a big company like Vodafone or MTN. I end up being the only journalist who would do a story about them, usually stories concerning tax avoidance. I have done stories about a, a food producing company that was selling expired food and was caught. Uh, other newspapers got the story but never did it. But I went ahead and did the story. And this is somebody who doesn't make money, who doesn't generate advertising revenue. But I will go ahead and do the story. Whereas those who generate advertising revenue will consider what they would lose if they do a story like that. So while it's, it's not a very pleasant situation to be in, it probably sometimes I think is a good thing because then I don't feel beholden to any institution, organization, or individual when it comes to doing the story that matters in the public, uh, for the public interest. 
Oh, wow, really wonderful. Um, I think I've learned really one or two things about maybe persistence. You know, you talked about uh, some journalists fearing, you know, doing certain investigative stories for fear of lo losing revenue. I think this is a serious, serious problem. Now, in your time, Emmanuel, as a journalist, um, you've covered a, a, a wide range of issues, uh, ranging from environment, health, business, and politics. Which of these topics are you most passionate about and maybe which ones do you enjoy reporting on? Well, I think for me, again, it's it's about the public interest. Um, I found myself reporting on all these various uh, different type subjects because I most often find myself uh, more or less like a lone ranger where I run uh, my own news organization. So I have to work independently uh, for as a freelance journalist. So I have to pitch a story to an editor. I don't often get assigned by editors. Once in a while I get assigned, but often I go to an editor and I say, okay, can I do this story for you? Uh, so I choose the topics insofar as the topic affects the public and throwing light on it could lead to something positive. It drives me towards doing it. So I enjoy doing journalism, irrespective of what topic it co I cover. So finance, uh, illicit finance, environmental injustice, uh, women, issues of women and children, human rights, um, corruption, uh, maybe even uh, illegal mining uh, and, 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 and whatever. Uh, the, the most important thing for me is once that subject uh, would be in the public interest, irrespective of whether it is illicit finance, tax avoidance, or human rights or injustice to somebody or to an institution. Once it's journalism and it serves a public interest, that's what I'm interested in. Now, almost 30 years of, uh, I mean, uh, journalism, um, I guess you've, you know, come across one or two major lessons uh, throughout these years. Are there any, any specific lessons that, you know, stick out to say, well, over the years, these are major lessons that I've, uh, I'm proud to talk about? Yes, I, I have learned so many lessons that uh, my 31 years of journalism has, uh, has, has uh, taught me. Um, but I can't put a finger on, on, on one or two, except to think that I have learned discipline. Uh, you, you can't succeed in anything you do if you are not disciplined. You can't be a good journalist if you are not disciplined. Uh, secondly, uh, you need, I've learned to pay attention to detail. Uh, if you are a journalist and you are writing, you, the story goes with your byline. You take credit for the work, uh, body of work you are putting out there. And therefore, it's important that you pay attention to detail. It's extremely important because it reflects your thinking. It reflects your entire ideology of, of life and your standards, as it were. Uh, I have learned to, 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 you know, to value some 
small messes like the opportunity to serve journalism is service and being in a position to serve you know to be a voice for the voiceless uh, to to raise issues of public importance that has the potential to change somebody's life these are the lessons i have learned i have le learned lessons about being truthful being being able to throw light on what other people are hiding and then i see how valuable that is to a section of the public who if they didn't know wouldn't be able to make certain decisions that in the long term or in the long run improves their standard of life or empowers them to demand justice and and their rights and so on and so forth so i have learned so many things in in the 31 years of my practice and these are some of the few things that jump on, on to my mind as i speak to you now Oh, great. And now, uh, have there been any moments over the course of your career that have been particularly rewarding? If looking back, you say, well, these, are, these moments were really rewarding in my career. Are there such kind of moments? Yeah, like I said, uh, seeing every, I mean, being able to start and finish a story and getting it published for me is rewarding. And so each moment that I have started a story and finished it and got it published is a rewarding moment for me uh, but of course over the years i have also acquired so much experience and i have said to myself it's not worth keeping all this experience and knowledge to myself so i started training other journalists it's extremely rewarding for me to see other journalists sitting and learning from me or sharing ideas with me or even sometimes challenging my ideas on what makes good journalism it's rewarding it's rewarding to see young journalists even experience, other experienced journalists listen to me and learn from my experience and hear my story and feel challenged and feel inspired and feel that they have picked one or two uh, skills or knowledge that will be useful in, in the practice of their own style or form of journalism. These are almost always rewarding moments for me, seeing a story uh, done and published and, and getting a response or no response, but at least getting the story out there because that's what I stand for. That's what I believe in, working and getting stories out there. So once the story is out there, I feel rewarded. I feel fulfilled. And of course, being able to teach other journalists and share ideas with them and see some of them improve and grow along the line is equally rewarding for me. Well, talking about training young journalists, I guess this is connected to the uh, nonprofit organization that you started in 2014 called Newsbridge Africa. Is that so? That's correct. Yeah, tell us a bit about this uh, very briefly. So in 2013, I, I was awarded a fellowship, the Knight Budget Fellowship in Business and Economic Journalism at Columbia University in New York uh, to study for a master's degree in a year. And I graduated and came back to Ghana. On my way back to Ghana, one of the things I wanted to do was to teach in any of the journalism institutions. But I came and made some efforts and none seemed to be interested. So I thought, okay, well, uh, how can I then 
share the knowledge I have acquired with other journalists. So I decided to set up the non-profit non uh, organization Newsbreed Africa through which I am able to organize informal training workshops where I train other journalists. And of course, I also do training in communication strategy and skills uh, for people who are interested. So uh, I, I realized that uh, apart from starting this non-profit organization, you also launched your own uh, news uh, outlet called Ghana Business News. Uh, what prompted you to start this particular, you know, uh, enterprise? Well, so I I had a job with some private uh, uh, radio stations, but it was extremely frustrating because they didn't understand or value professional journalism. Uh, I mean, they were just interested in doing the infotainment kind of thing. Occasionally, every now and then, they would throw in uh, some hard journalism. Uh, but then I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled. So I decided, well, uh, if I can't do journalism, then uh, the best way to do is to free myself so I could do the kind of journalism that drives change. And then I left my job and decided to set up Ghana Business News with the hope that I could generate uh, revenue to make it sustainable. But the revenue side never worked out. But then I kept it going for the last 13 years. Ah, perfect. Now, uh, Emmanuel, looking at, at all these years and stuff that you've done uh, throughout your career, I believe there were a lot and a lot of challenges that you faced in your profession. What is the most difficult part of your job or the most outstanding challenges that you've faced? Well, the most difficult uh, challenges, uh, they come and go in various shapes and forms. Um, sometimes finding a good reliable source to speak to uh, has always been a challenge uh, the other challenge is you are looking for expert looking for expert opinion on a story you are working on uh, comes off very challenging and then i remember a story i did last year on on illegal logging and ex export of rosewood out of ghana i didn't have the money to do the story and i i went around to um, some organizations in ghana who had uh, promised to give me the funding because it involves traveling over 800 kilometers uh, to to the northern part of the country and spending a couple of weeks in and doing the investigation i don't have that kind of money and then I, I i went round and round and nobody would give me the money even though they promised to say oh yeah that's a good story we'll give you the money the money never came and then eventually i got uh, money from outside ghana to do the story and then i had to travel and and, and crisscrossing uh, this terrain extremely difficult terrain uh, uh, was one of the most difficult challenges i've had but largely the difficulty i faced has to do with uh, resources to work with uh, because I've never been able to generate the amount of resources uh, required to do the work. And then, like I said, the, when my office, the office uh, building housing my office caught fire in November last year and got bent down uh, has been one of the most difficult, uh, uh, challenging experiences for me in my career. Uh, well, we are really sorry for, for, for especially the you know, the burning of your offices and stuff. Uh, well, Emmanuel, as we are winding up uh, uh, our interview today, um, I guess you, you, you have heard of CCIJ. Um, 
uh, how did you get involved with CCIJ? Thank you very much. I got involved with CCIJ when I met uh, Jeff Lewenstein in uh, South Africa uh, at the Africa Investigative Journalism Conference. And uh, we got talking. And, you know, Jeff is a lovely guy. Everybody likes Jeff. So, of course, I grew to like Jeff. And uh, Jeff started uh, sharing the idea with me. He started with the water project where he wanted to get me involved in. And then eventually, I think the water project led to the idea of CCIG. And he said, hey, Emmanuel, I want you to be part of it if you are interested. And I said, why not? If Jeff is doing something, I would love to be part of it. And that's how come I got uh, involved with CCIG. And how can you say your involvement with CCIJ has in enhanced your experience as an investigative reporter? Well, I think the fact that uh, there are other investigative reporters in on, on CCIJ, uh, we share ideas, uh, we, you know, people do stories and share, you read through, I read through the stories and, and get ideas and get inspiration. Uh, I've, I've become friends with people in CCIJ with who I share ideas and, and we've, we've, there are people in CCIJ I have worked on other projects as well along the line. So this fraternity of journalists uh, in CCIJ helps in terms of uh, sharing sharing of ideas, getting inspiration, and sometimes getting the needed support to do my work. So CCIG has been beneficial to me. Well, uh, Emmanuel, it was really a pleasure to talk to you. But lastly, I promise this is the last question. Looking back at the, I mean, over 30 years that you have worked as a journalist, all the ups and downs, would you really recommend this profession to others, briefly? <laughs> uh, I will find it difficult to recommend journalism to other people because it's not uh, financially rewarding. I mean, you, you, you are going to pension and you are not so sure how your pension is going to look like. But I, all, all, what I will tell them is that if you really, really love uh, journalism as a profession and you want to take it on, then you have to look at it as a sacrificial work. Uh, if you really want to do some work that will make you earn some good money and live well and have a comfortable pension, I wouldn't recommend journalism for them. Well, Emmanuel, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Well, on that note, we come to the end of Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. This is a podcast that focuses on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community. And we speak to journalists from different parts of the world. This has been Winston Mare. Take care.